0: Hello, everyone. Today, I thought it would be appropriate to publish the first episode of the show as my own story. For viewers who have been following my story for the last few months, do not feel like you have to listen to this. This story is meant for people who are just finding this podcast and knowing who I am. So let's get into this podcast. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew Pletcher and I am 22 years old and I live in Greenville, South Carolina. I grew up in the IFB church, which stands for Independent Fundamental Baptist Church. My story involves a lot of religious trauma, mental health issues, and spiritual abuse. As any story, I am going to start at the beginning. In the 1980s, both of my parents attended Hiles Anderson College. This was a fundamentalist Christian college in this decade, and it was very popular then. It's named after the preacher Jack Hiles. He pastored a church in Chicago that was one of the most popular IFB churches in the U.S. Both of my parents met at this college, and they fell in love and got engaged, and then married right after graduation. My dad was studying to be a preacher, and my mom was studying to be a Christian school teacher. My dad was in the ministry for a few years before finally admitting to himself that he was miserable and this was not the purpose for his life. Before I was born, he left the ministry completely and him and my mom attended a different church to start over. My parents were thrilled when they had their first child in the late 90s and then their second child, which was me, in 2000, and their last child in 2003. They thought it was a blessing from God, and they wanted to dedicate their children's lives to the Lord. My parents decided to homeschool me and my brothers our entire lives. I was socialized into the IFB church, a Christian homeschool group, and a 4-H club also filled with Christians. I was in a very small bubble of people who thought alike and acted alike. The purpose of homeschooling was for indoctrinating me and my brothers into fundamentalist Christianity. My parents used the Abeka curriculum for years, distributed by Pensacola Christian College. They enjoyed this curriculum because it greatly emphasized an extremely conservative and fundamentalist worldview. It taught that the world was created in seven days by God. There was no sex education in this curriculum whatsoever and it claimed that the King James Version of the Bible was the only legitimate word of God that they wanted to indoctrinate me and my brothers with. When I was a kid, I thought my parents were right about everything, as all kids do. But, as I got older, I began to realize that they were just imperfect human beings, and no one can be 100% right about everything. I truly believed as a child that my church was the only right church in the entire world and that everyone else was wrong. I remember that I used to believe as a child that my neighbors were evil because they were Methodist, because I was so indoctrinated that fundamentalist Christianity was the only way, and any other way was less than or illegitimate. This indoctrination really caused me to choose dogma over humanity But as I deconstructed, I choose humanity over dogma every single day. I grew up in an IFB church called Gospelite Baptist Church. This church was in Walkertown, North Carolina and was pastored by Brother Bobby Robertson for decades. He was well known in the IFB movement. He was his own little celebrity among all those Christians. People acted like he was Jesus himself some of the times. And it wasn't until I got older that I realized the cult-like obsession that my church had with my pastor. My parents would do anything that he said, even if it wasn't biblical. If he said not to do something, they would never do it. Another rule he invented was called mixed bathing. This is when prepubescent children swim together in the same pool. And I was never allowed to swim with friends of the opposite gender in a swimming pool. But even like before I hit puberty, I was just an innocent child who had no idea about sex or feelings about it. But they sexualized us at a very young age and assumed the worst. When my parents would talk about Brother Bobby, they would almost be crying. And sometimes they were crying because they looked up to him so much. And honestly, it really got on my nerves how much they looked up to him. And he was an incredible man, but he was not Jesus and he was not God. When I was 16 years old, I realized how cult-like my church was. A church member was praying in the pulpit and they were praying to God. And they were like, Dear Jesus, please help us to be more like Brother Bobby. When these words left his mouth, I immediately looked up all around the auditorium to see people's reactions. Everyone's heads were bowed. No one questioned it. No one said anything or mentioned it when the prayer was over. It was like it never happened, or it was just normal, or no one even noticed. And that was the moment when I realized I needed to get out of this environment. This man was not God, and he acted like he was. And he was a nice man. But it is very dangerous when we deify a person. There were pros and cons to me for homeschooling. I enjoyed my alone time and I got to explore a lot of different interests and hobbies that would help me decide on my career path. The downside to it was that I was surrounded by the same kind of people who thought the same things. My church greatly discouraged critical thinking. We were not allowed to ever question any scripture and questioning the pastor was not even thinkable. We were all supposed to blindly accept the fundamentalist doctrines, and if we didn't, we were in danger. In danger for going to hell for eternity after we died. My church had very fundamentalist teachings. Women were not allowed to preach or talk in the pulpit. Women could not wear pants. They all had to wear skirts and dresses. My church clung to the idea that the KJV is the only legitimate version of the Bible and any other Bible is not legitimate and not the Word of God. My church greatly emphasized hell. It was a very fire and brimstone kind of church. My first memory of experiencing religious trauma was around eight years old. It was on a Sunday night and I was at church with my family as usual. And there was a guest preacher at Gospel Light that night, and he was talking about hell. The way he talked about hell was so graphic and so scary as he was talking about all the pain and how demons would torture people and how they would be suffering for eternity. You would hurt and burn forever. As an eight-year-old child, Of course, this scared me. All the adults in my life told me this was a true place. It existed, and God created it, and he sent people there if they did not conform. I remember that night going to bed, and I could not sleep. I just started crying and crying because I was afraid if I went to sleep, that I would wake up in hell. I remember my mom coming into the room, and she asked me what was wrong. And I told her, I'm like, I'm afraid to go to hell. And she came over and was like, I can show you how to go to heaven. She sat by the bed and walked me through the ABCs of the sinner's prayer, admit, believe, confess. After the prayer, I was relieved because I believed that I was not going to burn in hell. What I did not realize then but what I realized now was that the preacher used a manipulation tactic called fear and relief. This is a manipulation tactic where the person, the manipulator uses fear and then they offer you the solution. So they they put a burden on your back and then they gave the solution to take it off. This preacher used that tactic to make people come to the altar. They scared them with hell. And they put so much fear into everyone's minds, making them doubt their salvation or even think that they might go to hell. So, of course, then encourage people to go to the altar to make sure they to make sure that they would not suffer for eternity. that night was not the end of my religious trauma the fear did go away at first because i suddenly believed after just saying a prayer that i was saved forever but the burden that fundamentalist christianity put on my soul was too great there was still doubt around salvation a lot if you didn't conform to certain behaviors then it's a sign that you're not going to heaven. That was taught a lot in my church. One example of this was that if you did not love going to church, that is a sign that you are not a true believer and you are headed down a path to hell. Well, I hated my church. I actually hated it. It was so miserable and I hated going there every Sunday. I was physically sick every Sunday, it was the worst day of the week for me. And the reason for this was because there was so much guilt, fear, and manipulation. As a child, I didn't know what was going on. I knew it didn't feel good. And I know or and I knew it was not right. In therapy, I've worked through some of my religious trauma and I still am. And there are memories of messages from teachers and in the pulpit that have greatly affected me to this day. Throughout my life there at Gospelite, there is still a lot of fear around hell. And I remember when I was 11, I have a Sunday school teacher talking about the different kinds of torture that might happen in hell. And one of these things was that I was told by this adult that there was a place where people were tortured, where their body would be ripped part by part. Then they would feel all of it. Their organs would detach but still be working. Your eyeball would rip out. and You would feel like your nose would rip off. Your hair would rip off. I honestly don't know where this teacher got this idea because I've never... I've never read anything like it in religion. I remember all the shame around purity culture and just for being human and having sexual desires. I remember in Sunday school, an object lesson in my teen guy's class where the teacher, he had two different containers of sand and then he had a clear vase. And he looked at all of the teen boys and said, This is what happens when you have sex. And he poured these two colored sands together into the clear vase. And he told us, can you separate these two colored sands every single grain? Can you do that? And to him, he was giving an example of what would happen if we had sex before marriage. To the church, if we did that, we would forever be bonded with that person, our souls connected. And it's something that would affect us the rest of our lives, and we would greatly regret it. The teacher even went as far to hand out papers to all the teen boys with a signature line at the bottom. And this was a purity pledge. The teacher looked at all of us and said, God is going to see you sign this. And if you break this promise, God will know. I mean, I was scared. I already lived a lot of my life afraid. Of every little thing I did wrong, I lived in constant anxiety and hyper The reason why I lived in so much fear was that there was so much doubt around salvation. If you didn't agree with everything, if you didn't conform, then there's reasons to doubt that you're not saved. I thought that I was forgiven in the sense that I was able to go to heaven, but God would still be mad at me for every single thing I did, so I should just be grateful that he saved me from hell and just deal with the miseries of Christianity the rest of my life. This was the impression I was given through the various sermons at church. Some weeks God would be loving, some weeks God would be absolutely wrathful and hateful and jealous. He was unstable and I needed disability. In homeschooling, there was also some religious trauma, more specifically relating around my parents. I remember as a child, wanting love and validation and praise from my parents as all children do and i remember doing something good and asking for praise i remember saying oh i did this so i deserve candy or to watch a tv show and i remember my parents looking at me and saying no you deserve to go to hell forever and after a couple of times of hearing that I learned to never say that I deserve something. Because every rule I follow, the more happy that made God, and the more happy that made my parents. But of course, when I wasn't perfect, or I didn't meet the standards, I felt absolutely terrible and awful. It was a horrible life of highs and lows all the time. When I got older, and I realized I was gay, that was very hard to deal with because Of the toxic teachings in the church. I was always taught very hateful things about gay people, things like all gay people are perverts, all of them want to go around and hurt children, they want to go convert people to their lifestyle in quotes, and a bunch of other completely nasty generalizations. Through all the years of hearing hateful messages about gay people, this cause internalized homophobia inside of me. I had so much self-hatred for myself that I couldn't even stand to be me. It got so bad that my personality split into two and I developed a second personality. I lived my life thinking I was somebody else because I could not stand the thought of being me. And I remember coming home some days and looking in the mirror and being shocked to see my reflection, because that wasn't who I thought I was. I thought I was somebody else. This was my mind's way of coping and dealing with the trauma. Eventually, that personality faded away as I began to learn to love myself and deconstruct all the hateful theology around the gay community. In my teen years, I greatly struggled with mental health because of religious trauma from my youth, internalized homophobia, and dealing with psychological and spiritual abuse at home and at the church. What I didn't know was that religious trauma is really synonymous with complex PTSD, but I was uneducated on mental health. I was not aware of trauma, let alone religious trauma, and not even complex PTSD. But now, as I have grown and gone to therapy, I look back and I see all the symptoms and signs, and I've discovered the causes. So when I began to struggle with mental health, specifically depression, I wanted to go to a doctor at 16 to go on to antidepressants. My mom did not want to do that because she was worried about medication and what it might do to a young mind. So she just told me to read my Bible and pray, and it would be fine. Later that year, I had my second depressive episode and it was severe. The depression started because of internalized homophobia. I realized that I had a crush on a friend. And I really realized and admitted that I was gay. And that was too hard for my mind to conceptualize because of all the years of indoctrination. I was conditioned to have a negative, awful view and feeling of gay people. So of course, after all those years of conditioning, I felt that way about myself. And this is when my personality split. At first, I just suffered all the time. I stopped eating and I tried to eat, but I really couldn't anymore. My body felt like an entire bag of bricks was just on top of me. I wanted to just be in bed all day my bones ached terribly. And I knew what the Bible was talking about when it talks about David and his depression and his bones aching and body hurting. I never realized depression could go that deeply. After two weeks of barely eating, I lost 20 pounds and I thought I was going to die. And this was when I could no longer hide it from my parents because there was so much shame around mental health. And in my family, we never talked about our emotions. We weren't even allowed to express anger. And we weren't even allowed to have opinions. My parents did not know what to do. And I remember one day sitting down for a meal and I was struggling to eat. And my dad got angry at me and raised his voice and told me, eat, eat, son, eat. And of course, that did not make it better. It made it much worse. I just sat there crying, and my mom was crying in the corner of the kitchen, not knowing what to do. I went to the bathroom, and I cried my eyes out on the bathroom floor, not knowing what to do, crying out to God, asking him to heal me and to stop this. My parents never took me to a doctor, never took me to a therapist or to just get me any kind of medical help. Eventually I got over it. And that was when my personality split because my mind had to heal and it went so far to develop that coping mechanism and it helped me survive. And that coping mechanism did confuse a lot of people as I would switch personalities every once in a while and it really confused me too. It took a long time to even look at the mirror and not feel disgust. After that depressive episode, I knew that I needed to get away from my church. I wanted to try a new church with a new youth group where no one knew me and where I could find community. I ended up meeting some teenagers my age at the bus ministry in my church. I found out they also went to a different church for youth activities and they went soul winning every week And for people who don't know what soul winning is, it's when a group of Christians from a church drive out to different neighborhoods and areas and hand people tracts telling them that they're going to hell unless they accept Jesus into their heart. Yes, it is a real thing. And I did this a lot in my youth because that was a part of being the church that was expected for the teens to go soul winning. So yes, as a teenager, I would go in groups, and we would go knock on doors and tell people that they were going to hell unless they conformed to our religion. When I joined the youth group at this new church, I was super excited. I already had two friends from Gospelite who were going there, and I actually started to feel like I was fitting in somewhere for the very first time. My life seemed to be going well and getting better, but there was one person in this group who was jealous of me and the friendship I had with Jade. And this person noticed that I was different and they made assumptions about my sexuality and spread rumors about me. I did not know about this until I was actually shunned from that youth group. I lost most of my friends within a week, but thankfully Jade, she was by my side. After I was friendless, The next week, I knew that I needed to get out of the church environment to find a community. I decided that I would get a job and try to work as much as I could to slowly get out of church. I knew that if I just stopped participating, there would be shame and guilt placed upon me by church members. So slowly, but surely. I stopped going to youth activities and stopped being involved in the church. I was still forced to go to services by my parents, but I kept to myself a lot of the time. It also helped me develop social skills that I desperately lacked because of the isolation from homeschooling. It also helped me to inch out and slowly get away from the church. Things also began getting better again with this job And at that point, I really just wanted to stop trying to be friends with Christians because I've been rejected and hurt so many times. The reason I was working was to save for college. College was a dream of mine. I loved learning and I wanted to be a success in whatever I did. But the issue was my parents would only pay for a Christian college. And I could not afford Christian College or really any college with minimum wage. So I knew even if I saved, I would still struggle to pay for college. And my parents, they wanted me to attend Pensacola Christian College. And I knew that I would not want to go there. It was even worse than at home, so much more controlling, so much more rules. It was honestly probably about the same. At Pensacola Christian College, you weren't even allowed to go to your own church because there was a church on campus for all the students to go to because they wanted to control the students. You couldn't even walk off of the campus without signing out first. And you had to sign on this form where you were going and who you were going with. You cannot listen to any music besides Christian music. You couldn't watch any TV above TVG. Everything was so controlled at this school and they were required to go to chapel several times a week and discipleship groups. It sounded terrible to me, but I still wanted to go to college. So this was when Bob Jones University was an option on the list and it was still very strict very conservative christian college but it was much better than pensacola a lot less strict as the time got closer i applied to bob jones university and i got accepted i was still dreading going because at this point in my life i was ready to leave but i continued to lie to myself Because it's all I knew, all my friends, family, and connections were in the fundamentalist environment. So I convinced myself that I believed this. A few months before going to Bob Jones University, I tried to get out of going. I looked at my mom and I finally told her that I was gay and that I would be bullied and harassed and just feel out of place at the university. I left that conversation greatly discouraged. I remember preparing to put on a role, a facade, a mask, to fit into this environment to try to. I was so worried about being seen as gay because it was so obvious. I tried to change the way I talked, the way I walked, what I told people about my interest. I even learned to have an extremely deep voice. The first year at Bob Jones was a psychological hell. I was bullied and harassed a lot at this school my first year. I felt no community in this place. I was surrounded by so many people, but I felt so alone. After the first semester, I hated it. I tried to follow all of their rules and it was so miserable. I had chapel just about every day. I was required to go to church twice a week. I had discipleship groups almost every night at 10.30. And I also had a society that was obviously very spiritual. So everything was religion. It was shoved in my face from every side and I was just sick of it. My freshman year at Bob Jones University, I realized that I conformed to fundamentalist Christianity, because I wanted love and acceptance from my parents, and I wanted love and acceptance from others. So I put on a show, but I convinced myself it was a real. It was a persona. When I realized that it was fake, I was sad and disappointed in myself for feeling like I had to be someone else to be loved and accepted. I was disappointed that I was not being true to myself and that I could not be true to myself. It was then the second semester, my freshman year at Bob Jones, that I decided to start to learn to get around the rules just to survive at this place. I eventually just stopped attending church. I would either hide in the closet in the dorms because they would check the dorm rooms every Sunday to make sure everyone was out at church. So I would hide, literally hide in the closet. (laughs) And eventually I got tired of that. And I realized that I was depriving myself of community, and that I needed it outside of Bob Jones. So after becoming very depressed and very suicidal at Bob Jones, and this was my third depressive episode in my life, I created a suicide video. Talking about my life and all of the psychological struggles because of the toxic environment from church at home and all the safe and all the self-hatred that I had and the bullying and harassment I endured. After making the suicide video, I felt relief because I actually talked about my feelings for the first time. I decided not to take the bottle of pills and instead I called Trevor Hotline and they helped me work through it. I am so grateful to be here today to share my story and to help other people share their stories of surviving toxic religious settings. After getting off of the phone, I knew I needed to go to an affirming church. I discovered one in Greenville and I went to it in an Uber and not knowing if I could afford Uber the next week. At the church, I felt out of place at first, but there was a group luncheon for visitors, and I decided to go there. I met a wonderful family, and I told them about my situation, and they drove me back to Bob Jones, and they drove me to that church every week. Eventually, they invited me over for dinner, and they also gave me a key to their house so I could go there whenever I needed to get away from the school. I was so grateful. I could already tell my mental health was becoming so much better by being in an affirming space. If I had never met them, I know for a fact that I would not be alive today. I know that I would have committed suicide because there was no love and acceptance in my life. The love was conditional. I didn't meet the conditions, I didn't meet their criteria. I was at Bob Jones University for three and a half years. It was towards the beginning of my junior year, which started in the fall of 2020, that I really began to struggle in my mental health the summer before. I was tired of being in the closet and I was tired of the homophobia at home and I had been repressing my sexuality my emotions and traumas. There were so many repressed things and they needed to get out and healed. And I went through my fourth and worst depressive episode. For this episode, I spent a week with barely any sleep. I wanted to be in bed all day. I felt heavy. I felt suicidal. And I wanted to stop it, but I didn't know how but little did I know my mind was screaming at me to get help. At this point, I made a fact to make sure that I went to a doctor. After having a few breakdowns at work, my coworkers convinced me to go to a doctor. I told my parents that I would quit my job and never go back to Bob Jones if they did not let me go to a doctor. I continued going to the school in the fall of 2020 for my junior year And I still struggled a lot with depression, and it got worse there because of the stressful environment, and it was very toxic. One day, I became so depressed, and I think also because I convinced my doctor to double my dosage of medication, that my mind reacted terribly to it, and I completely numbed out emotionally, and I couldn't feel anything. And in order to feel something, I started to cut my wrist and then I called my mom about it because I was upset and I was crying and I just didn't know what to do. It's a form of counseling where it is assuming that everything wrong in your life is sin, which in the fundamentalist world, sin means that you're not trusting God enough. You're not reading the Bible enough and you don't have a right relationship with God. It's very condemning, very shame based, very toxic. I knew I did not want to see a biblical counselor, but I agreed to because I just needed to get this out. I ended up coming out of the closet to this counselor. I told him about my life and what I had been through and how I was bullied and harassed at the school. After spilling my heart out to him about my experiences and traumas, he told me that I was paying for my sin. I was not shocked by this statement, but it still hurt because I expected to be condemned. And it really hurt to have someone tell you that you deserved terrible things that happened to you just because you exist. That there's a God that wants to hurt you just because you exist. After that session, I journaled because it's something I made a habit of to get through my emotions and to regulate them. I realized this man had prejudice and I realized I did not deserve it because My sexuality was not my choice. And I came to the conclusion that if there's a God that's condemning me for something that's not my choice, then I don't want anything to do with him. It was the next semester, the second semester of my junior year that the depression wasn't as bad, but it, it was still pretty bad and at Bob Jones University during one of their services or chapels. For once, one of the chapel sermons was actually really loving, which is shocking because usually their chapel messages are very shame-based and guilt-based. This sermon was all about God's love. And love was what I needed, just love in general. Community, social connection. I was emotionally vulnerable. I let that sermon push me to get saved. And this was the fifth time in my life that I got saved because I was so unsure of it because there was always so much doubt and uncertainty around it. I went back to the counselor that second semester because the semester before, since he felt like I wasn't a Christian, he said that he couldn't counsel me. But once I told him I had prayed this in his prayer, he told me that I had the Holy Spirit inside of me and that he could disciple me and he could change my sexuality. That made me feel so uncomfortable because I knew conversion therapy is toxic and harmful. I agreed to be discipled and learn about Christianity because a week after that emotional experience, I knew it was emotional. I knew it was psychological. It was because there were needs in my life that needed to be met and I emotionally gave in to that sermon and cried and I needed to cry. I needed that release and I needed love. But I felt the weight being put back on me as I was being discipled. And he tried to lift that weight off of me. But there was so much religious trauma. And there was still pressure to conform to follow a set of rules. And it just didn't make sense how you're forgiven. But you still have to basically be perfect and follow these rules. And you have to ask for forgiveness all the time or your connection with God is gone. As the semester went on, I knew, by the end of my discipling, that I was going to leave Christianity, because that's what I needed to heal from my religious trauma. My well-being and health was more important than conforming to dogma, for something that was forced on me since I was a child, and something that was never personal to me, something that was a foundation of fear, guilt, and manipulation. That counselor wanted to try to change my sexuality, and I told him I would not allow it. I told him it was harmful. After the first session of conversion therapy, I knew that it was not healthy, and I told him that I appreciated the discipling, but I was ready to move on. And that summer, that's when I started deconstructing and asking like really big questions about the faith and finding out if they were actually true because I stopped blindly submitting and I started questioning and I had already been deconstructing for a couple of years really just trying to get rid of toxic beliefs but this was the most far that I went to deconstructing and it was really deconverting that I went on the path of and it was hard it was deconstruction is not easy you have a foundation and a worldview and you just completely rip it out from under you and you have no found no certainty, not knowing what to do or why to get up in the morning, but the religion was causing more harm than good, and I knew I had to get rid of it, and I decided to figure out what needs religion met and find other ways to meet those needs. Flash forward to my senior year at Bob Jones University, the semester and fall of 2021. I had already been digging a lot in psychology books, and I finally started digging into religious trauma. And I was crying as I found out the root and reason behind my depression. As I studied religious trauma that semester, I decided to make a photo series on religious trauma because I was a photography major. This photo series represented the emotional states of my life. And working through religious trauma and the damage religion caused in my life and how I got away. I decided not to submit this photo series because I knew it was controversial. I decided to post it online on my Instagram account, but he was willing to admit that he was wrong, apologize for it, and work on being better. I was nervous about the interview because it was the day before my last semester at Bob Jones University. This interview was back in January of 2022 of this year. I did the interview and in a few days it quickly racked up a few thousand views. I tried blocking a bunch of people from my Instagram before the release to try to protect myself just in case. But part of me knew that my time at Bob Jones was done. My intuition was telling me, you've learned your lessons here. You have a much greater purpose. The next step is coming and I'm going to take care of you. I had a piece that I knew that I was going to get kicked out, but I felt fine about it because I knew intuitively that everything would work out. Ten days after the video, it already had over like 5,000 views. And that tenth day, I was called in to meet with faculty. Yes, I was expelled from Bob Jones University. But thankfully, right when the video released, the family that took me in my freshman year called me and told me that I could move in with them if I was expelled because they did not know. Until that video, how much trauma that I have been through and they wanted me to have a space to be loved and a place to heal. I don't regret doing the video at all. I'm so grateful for the people that I reached through it and I was able after that video to be on a bunch of podcasts to share my story and to help encourage and inspire other people now. I have set myself on a mission for the rest of my life to bring awareness to religious trauma and help spiritual abuse survivors. I have decided to become a therapist and eventually a psychologist and research religious trauma. After the Joshua Harris video, I knew that I wanted to use social media to make a difference. I started posting infographics, educating people, on religious trauma and other issues in the church. I posted quotes and posted videos, and eventually I created this show as an Instagram show called Speaking Up. This is the official first episode of this podcast, and I'm grateful for all the people who have followed me and supported me this far. I'm grateful that Joshua Harris gave me the platform to share my story and to gain followers that could support me, and I could support them. I'm excited to continue making a difference in people's lives with this podcast, because I saw the power in sharing my story. When I shared my story with Joshua Harris, I felt so free, I felt liberated, I felt heard, I felt like my story mattered. And his series was called Every Story Matters. And I do believe that every story matters and that's why I created this show because the more people that collectively get together and stand up to these abusive religious institutions and structures, the more likely that social change will happen in these places. And the more likely that people will leave and go to healthier environments until the church and religions in general can begin to examine themselves and look at their issues and be better. But until they do that, there is going to be stories of people who are traumatized and who are speaking up until the church hears us. I'm thankful for viewers and I'm thankful for guests who have been on my show on Instagram and now who are gonna be on my podcast. Thank you for listening to my story. This is Speaking Up with Andrew Pledger. This podcast is distributed by Anchor from Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Everything you need is in one space. Anchor has the tools to record, edit, and distribute your podcast. And it's all free. Download the Anchor app or go to Anchor FM to start creating your own podcast today. Hello, everyone. It is me, Andrew Pledger. And today I want to talk about how I grew up in a cult. And this is something that it hasn't really taken me until recently to realize that I grew up in a cult. Now, I always knew I grew up in a really crazy, wacky church. I was such a weird, extreme church. But once I've actually begun to really dig into cult education and understand the criteria of a cult and the signs, and the different behaviors, and then compare that with my past experiences, just making different connections and just be like, oh my gosh, like I grew up in a cult. And I think that happens to a lot of people because when you're in these cultic environments, it's so normalized to you because it's your whole world. And you might grow up thinking, oh, that is a crazy situation. But, you know, since we have this black and white thinking, we have that tendency to look as cult, you know, at cult as a black and white term, but it's not, it's a spectrum. And so just, you know, looking at education and cult criteria and comparing it to your situation you can decipher whether your church or religious group is a cult and today i want to dig really into the church that i grew up in and why it was a cult and So I grew up in Gospelite Baptist Church of Walkertown, North Carolina, and it was pastored by Brother Bobby Robertson for like over 60 plus years. This church was an IFB church, which stands for Independent Fundamental Baptist. So it was all about separating from the world, um, clinging on to fundamentals of religion, and claiming them as absolute truth. And they were very, very adamant about they were the only way and that the plan of salvation, Jesus, was the only way. And so now I want to dig into why it was a cult. And so first, I want to say that I'm going to use Lifton's model of mind control. And I'm also going to use the bite model by Stephen Hassan. And they're both... I think Lifton, he was a researcher, and I know Hassan, he's a cult expert. And so Lifton's list of criteria for mind control is um, environment, mystic manipulation, demand for purity, and cult of confession, sacred science, loaded language, doctrine over person, and dispensing dispensing of existence. And I'm going to go over this one by one from my experience. And I wanna do it as quickly as possible cause I don't want this to be a 30 minute video. But first I wanna talk about how they control the environment. That's the first one. And so controlling, I mean it's obvious, controlling like where you live, what you do, how you behave, where you are. And what places you go. So yeah, they greatly control your environment. And I think, you know, I've talked about this before, but controlling the school that you go to. These cultic churches, they usually will have a Christian school so they can control the children and indoctrinate them into the religion or into the group. And they can also encourage homeschooling. And there are a lot of culty uh, homeschool curriculums out there to indoctrinate children into this belief system. And there's so much discouragement from going outside the fold. And then, you know, there's this us versus them mindset, like people on the outside are evil. So, you know, stay inside and, you know, this is the only place you'll find happiness and acceptance and the truth. Anything outside or away from us is false and is of the devil. So there's very controlling about staying in the fold and not going into any other places in the world and just surrounding yourself with people just like you. And I think the next one... I think, would be Mystic Manipulation, which is just playing spontaneity or spontaneity. And it's just, for me growing up, there's a lot of emotional manipulation when it came to the end of a sermon every Sunday, and even Wednesday night. They would play this very emotional um, piano music, and you know, the pastor would claim like, oh, I feel the Holy Spirit move this building tonight. And then someone would like scream or something just out of a high emotion, and, you know, emotions are contagious. I mean, it's a psychological fact. So once that started, a donut effect would happen, and people would get emotional. And, you know, since the pastor, the one that claims that he's chosen by God to speak to the flock or to the group, that, you know, if the Holy Spirit is there, the Holy Spirit is there. And if you really believe that, you know, it really gets your emotions riled up, And you have this mystical experience, and it's really emotional and psychological, and it's very manipulative, um, how people are coerced to go to the altar through what the preacher says and through piano music. And I think the next thing is demand for purity. And, you know, in the church that I grew up in, and, you know, before I get into that, demand for purity is just this very binary thinking around choices, this black and white, good and evil. And you're basically expected to follow a bunch of rules that are really, or a standard that is unattainable. You're kind of expected to be perfect. It's kind of unspoken. In these environments, they'll sometimes sort of tell you, oh, we don't expect perfection, but their actions don't match their words. And I think examples of this in the church I grew up in was that we are demanded that, to believe that the KJV was the only legitimate Bible. It was the only way that all of the Bibles were false and that if we read another version of the Bible we we're falling away or reading a book that was manipulated by Satan so I think this is an example of demanding for purity of demanding we only read this certain type of version of the Bible we're also taught that every sin separates us from God even though we're saved so every time you sin you have to ask for forgiveness but then again you're taught that you're a sinner and you're way to the core and you're a terrible person, so you're constantly sinning. So you're constantly having to confess and get in the right relationship because that relationship is constantly being broken. So it's this this, this dangling carrot you can never really reach anyway. And there's a constant cycle of just feeling bad about what you've done, confessing, having shame, guilt, and then starting that cycle all over again. And I think um, also, like, expecting to save sex for marriage is such an unrealistic and unattainable thing because, you know, sexuality is a part of biology. Um, you know, it's because of hormones in your body that it happens, and you would have to actually, like, get rid of those hormones to not have those desires, but yet we're taught to, you know, um, repress our sexual desires, So pray for God to help us to not lust or have any kind of sexual thoughts, when in reality that's really not possible unless we just literally cut that part of our body off which is just terrible to think of which people have done unfortunately but and I think another thing in my church where you're expected to just this demand for this specific standard is that women were greatly encouraged to wear skirts and like women wearing pants was seen as a very negative thing and it was greatly looked down upon in the church and you know anything outside of that church's standard was seen as less than like you know the church i grew up in they were the golden standard everything else was below it and they were on top they were the best and you know even if you decide to go to another church that wasn't as strict you, you were seen as compromising or falling away from the truth and there was so much shame in staying at that church. And, you know, as we continue on, the next thing is the cult of confession. And this means when someone fails to conform to every rule in the group. And so because of that, they either have to confess publicly or privately to someone. And so examples of confession would be, like I talked about earlier, the altar calls where you're expected to go to the altar to, you know, talk with God privately, even though it's in front of the whole church, really um and you know you're praying and at my church there would be a couple of people of church leaders that would sit down or beside people and pray with them and really get into their business and ask them really what was wrong because they wanted to know what was going on in their lives so they can control them and i never liked it that there were people up there doing that um and i think also there was in my teen Sunday school class there was always a strong encouragement to get an accountability partner and for those of you who don't know what that means it means it's when you find like another believer and you keep each other accountable for different things that you do in your life like what you do on the internet what you watch on TV music it's just making sure you conform and stay on track to the church's doctrine when you're outside the church living your normal life so that's how they still control you when you you know walk out of the church building and, you know, you're required to confess, even on your own, or you don't have a relationship with God. So this this constant having to monitor, making sure you follow the doctrine very, very perfectly. And another sign, another thing that I noticed, which Jay Lifton, he calls it sacred science, which this means is when a group claims that they have absolute truth, and that it's the absolute authority, and that it's the only way, and it cannot be questioned whatsoever, um, and it's, it can't be open to dispute at all. And so I think in the church that I grew up in, you know, the, K- the King James Version of the Bible was seen that way as the absolute truth, as the only way, you know, the version was legitimate. And also that the Bible itself was the only way and that the gospel was the only way to get to heaven through Jesus and any other religion led you to hell. And that's what I was taught. Um, and I think also... The next thing is, you know, loaded language, which is changing language or reinterpreting language to make sure the outside world can't understand and also to manipulate members in the church and using thought-terminating cliches to stop people from critical thinking. And I think examples of changing language or changing words in the church was number one is freedom. Freedom is taught in the church as you're a slave to Christ. So you're taught that if you completely deny everything yourself, you give out your will or everything, and you're a slave to Christ's work and his teachings, then you're actually free. And I've talked to a lot of people about this, and we've agreed that we never felt that freedom that they talked about. And another, another thing is happiness. You know, that happiness and joy and peace comes from finding the will of God. And again, this is denying any desire that you have or plan for your life and just submitting really to what the church wants you to do because it's just all about those emotions that they're manipulating. And I think also examples of thought-terminating clichés, which these are phrases that stop people from thinking, stop people from discussion or doubting or disputing and keep them in line to really conform and I think examples of this when questions or issues come up, people, these cultic members will say, Oh, well, God's ways are higher than our ways, or you can't question that, or you can't question the Bible. You know, that's untouchable. We can't do that. And um another thing is like, oh, we'll only know when we get to heaven, or oh, the devil is filling your mind with thoughts, or oh, it's outside our knowledge, only God can know, or oh, we'll only know when we die. We can just trust for now. So all these different phrases are used to stop us from thinking and to keep us in line. And the next issue is when doctrine is put over person. And it's when individual needs, emotions, and values are unimportant compared to the group's ideology and ideals. And I think examples of this in the church that I grew up in was just the homophobic sermons they taught. They're just very extremely hateful towards people who are just queer in general, saying how, you know, the devil was inside of them, they needed to get saved, that God could heal them. And, you know, they supported conversion therapy and, you know, trying to change people through the Bible, change their sexuality, it was very harmful. And it's an example of when, you know, an interpretation or a tradition that is really prioritize over people over their well-being and who they are and just denying their humanity completely and i think also an example of this uh, would be women or very are very subjugated in these conservative and ifb churches and i think examples of this is that you know in the church i grew up in women could not speak in the pulpit they could not become a deacon or a pastor it was a sin or it was against God's will if they did, they were supposed to be silent in those aspects. I mean, of course they could become a Sunday school teacher or help with children or something, but in those positions, it was all men and women could not be in those positions. Um, and then I think also like children were seen kind of like as objects of their parents, really they didn't have any autonomy um, whatsoever. And I think it's really sad how these are examples of when we put dogma over people, over their humanity. And I think the last thing that is a common in a lot of these cultic environments is called dispensing of existence. And it's this us versus them mindset, the in-group and the out group mindset. You know, those on the outside of the group are blind, lost and evil. And you know, us are the inside, we're righteous, we're children of God, we're good, we're on the path to heaven. So yeah, this is a very cultic mindset that Really, I saw a lot in my church of like people on the outside were just evil, wicked sinners. They were servants of Satan. You were just stay away. Like, of course, like you give them a track or witness to them, but otherwise don't be friends with them at all. Stay in the group. And, you know, those in the group were seen as God's chosen and as enlightened, and everyone else was blind to the truth. Um, And I think this is happens a lot in cultic environments but all of these things I've listed there are things I've witnessed in my church growing up and you know it's been amazing to leave toxic religion and also to educate myself and realize oh my gosh this was a cultic environment and just to be able to label things that were done and why thank you for listening to speaking up with Andrew Pledger. Please support the show by sharing, donating or leaving a review. Your support is much appreciated.